Geek Shock. Geek Shock. The Bold Show. Well, while Andy's gone, we're going to make this just a 100% music podcast. We'll go back to geek stuff when geek star- starts coming yep. by. But we haven't talked a lot of music, so we got a lot to talk about Lots and lots of music. Because we haven't covered yeah. it. And local historical trivia. You know, oh, yeah. Little bits and pieces of Vegas that nobody knows yeah. anything about. Yeah. This, so, do we know any clampers that we can talk to to, to, no, no, to, yeah. to verify no, no, all no, of no, these? No, 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 no. We're, we're going to go out and forge our own path. There we okay. are. And put our own Geek Shock plaques up all over oh, okay. yes. the desert Nevada. Now, not going to be like any special place that anything happened. It's just going to be, this is a rock, Geek yeah, Shock. Yeah, there you go. Well, we could mm-hmm. we put plaques up like places that we worked, which would be historically significant, or or yeah. places that we frequented before yeah. they were torn down. I'm going deeper in the desert. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Jeff's, Jeff's idea actually makes sense. Okay. Uh, well, that's Jeff. I'm not hearing myself. No. Nah? No. Are you plugged in? Um. There's probably a reason for that, <laughs> sir. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, this is the new world, folks. You got to plug your own shit in now. <laughs> That's right. Nobody wants to touch your filthy cord. <laughs> wow. Which, which he's probably actually wiped down three or four times Jeez, with the Clorox Jeff. wipes. <laughs> he, he sounds like a date. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 352. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Uh, acting UK Prime Minister K. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Weird to talk weak and geek. Yeah, wow, things I are know, still that, nuts. I, God Almighty, dude. You know, you sit there and you make the little ha ha. Well, I hope, man, man, man. And then if it happens, you're sort of like, woof. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the guy, but at the same time, uh, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable. With he made me. some poor decisions. Well, yes, he did. I'm just saying, I'm not one for wishing. Yes, you know. So it's, it's just sort of like. Oh, God damn it. You fucking people. Why did you listen to the loser podcasters and YouTubers? That, that, uh, you, th- you think that's the issue? You think uh, Boris Johnson listens yeah. to podcasters and YouTubers? He listens to people who listens to that stuff. Oh, okay. Okay? It, it, I mean, dude, it is, no, it is absolutely no coincidence that there was this whole anti-left mainstream media bitch fest about how we're making too much of the coronavirus and it's just a flu and you had all these conservatives saying that when everyone else was like we got to be a little more careful here and 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 you get people like Dr. Drew who is just, just he's apparently he was apparently a big time this isn't even like the flu this yeah, is so it was mild. weird to see him saying some of that stuff yes and he's he's gone full on all right and and so they're repeating this stupid shit that is being circulated around, and then uh, and now some of them are having to backtrack. Others are doubling down. But it's just I, the the problem is is that there is it's it's really hard to pin down one source, and I don't know if it is. It's just like there is now this nicely programmed knee jerk anti mainstream media reaction. Oh yeah, that yeah. kind of. It's almost like a predictive text game, right? Where oh. where you you start filling out the fields, and then it'll go in the in a certain direction, and you'll get multiple vectors of this na- narrative that, in this particular case, is extremely dangerous. I, I I don't for a second, I don't for a second believe 
that that a lot of these people were approaching it scientifically. I think that they were all <laughs> like, yeah, you think yeah, they were all guided by by this 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 uh, anti left media narrative, and that's where they were making these decisions from. Now maybe some of it came from Ivan because actually it has been stated that that Russia is pumping a whole bunch of misinformation shit again. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine why they would do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, there was Mark Lilly. He shared on Facebook this uh, this weird-ass fucking thing. Uh, and it was an eye-roll share. It wasn't a, yeah, yeah, like and, and, and subscribe share. Um, but it was this, you know, look at this picture of Trump. This man has the weight of the world on his shoulders. What do you think he does at night? Going to sleep, praying to God for answers to this current. And I'm just reading this line of horse shit, and and my eyes are starting to water. And I'm like, yeah, I could see, I could see someone coming up with that, but I could also see like that being some uh, some uh, uh, Rug- Russian cyber agitprop being thrown out there just to stir people up. Nah. And, and, and you know, you know, you can't tell right now because we have such poor leadership in the intelligence area. We can't, we can't. I mean, it. Ah, it's frustrating because the experts are being silenced. That's yes. the only problem I have with. If what's they're going being on. allowed to do anything, yeah, you know, if they're being allowed to do their job, I, I yeah. Anyway, so John, what geeky things to do this week? I argued um, with people on Facebook. That will pass the time. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why I've been staying off Facebook. Um, watching a lot more YouTube, a lot more TV. YouTube um, is the friggin' best. Uh, yeah. Went Yesterday went down a huge rabbit hole of like food videos. Like, well, uh, that's just cruel. Like, <laughs> like discontinued fast food items or oh, oh, wow. se- secret menu items that are available at restaurants, like uh, restaurant chains we've lost, restaurant chains that are hot. I, it was just like this Good bizarre Lord. mix of... Get used to that. Thing. That one's going to be really popular in the next six months. <laughs> Ten things you didn't know about the McRib and <laughs> like just crazy stuff like that. I just, it's... It was it was just like, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. And I just kept going. Jeff, I respected you more when you talked about the, the, the Nixon documentary. <laughs> I don't know. I'm liking this much more. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it was fun. It, it was fun. And Cause, it was... Because, you know, if I have one regret in my life, one regret, which one? Just one. Just one? Just one regret is I never got to eat Burger Chef. Hmm. Hmm. Long gone, but I think we lost it in the early 80s. Sounds mid-80s. about right. Wow. I grew up in a family of McDonald's. My, my That's yes. what my father did. He was in the McDonald's business. So much so that after mama and daddy, the, the third word I learned was McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. And my, my father taught me to say, blah, blah, burger chef. As a, a, like the like the one of the earliest toddler phrases I had. Nice. So I just walk around and and it would be a game for me. Apparently, in the car I would see McDonald's. I go yay McDonald's, and then if I saw Burger Chef, I go blah blah Burger Chef. So I, I learned how to <laughs> differentiate the two early. Um, and so I, I was brainwashed. I, I never got Burger Chef. No, up. you were conditioned. Brainwashing is a misnomer. Okay, sure. I was conditioned, Jeff. 
So don't use conditioner, folks. Yes, use brainwashing. Yeah. Wash it. So, so yeah, that's my one and only regret in life. Oh, <laughs> wow. Now I have two regrets in my life. And I will say, even though McDonald's had the Happy Meal, the, the kids' meal over at Burger Chef looked pretty cool. I would see those commercials and go, that looks fun, but I can't have it because it's, <laughs> it's Burger Chef. And in and, and my, and my family, the law was laid down, uh, especially as I got older, because my, my father ran the McDonald's in the town we lived in uh, as an owner-operator. So I was not allowed to be seen going into any fast food restaurant in town because my father thought that would be a bad reflection on his business. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <clears throat> so well, wow. you didn't even have another fast food restaurant oh, in your we, town until, like, the 90s, no, right? No, we had Burger King there. Yeah, but I thought you told me that Burger King didn't hit till like, late 80s, early 90s. Because didn't you tell me that that McDonald's in your small hometown? Th- that was the first was, fast food. Was the only thing for a long time? Yes. Yeah, okay. absolutely. But, uh, yeah, but we ended up getting a Burger King in the 80s. In the okay, yeah. so it was like he's late, not was late he's 80s. not talking about trolling the streets when he was four and he couldn't go to <laughs> no, White no, Castle. No, no, I know. I, I visited him in his hometown, and and he's not wrong. His hometown was a really small hometown. Well, I can believe that. Rinky dinky. Uh, and then later on, we had a Hardee's and so on. But uh, so yeah, I, I I was never allowed to go to these places. Uh, we could go to him in other towns, like if we went outside of our hometown and to an actual town and and <laughs> i could have it there but we would never stop except for places that weren't burger centric so we'd go to taco bell we'd uh, go to pizza hut yeah. that's fine but not going to mcdonald's means i don't know i am betrayal. glad somebody else besides me knows about hardy's because uh that was another video i watched uh the carl's jr hardy's story ah uh, uh, yes because if you're west of kansas basically uh, I think they had maybe one or two locations in Colorado, but like basically west of Kansas, everything was Carl's Jr. And they only had about like 900 locations versus like Hardee's, which started in the south and then spread through, you know, the entire east coast and Midwest. And they had something like 2,000 locations. Yet through poor poor management, Carl's Jr., uh, Hardee's, went up for sale, and Carl Jr. bought it, even though they had more than twice as many locations as Carl's Jr. And they're still Hardee's, right? They're still Hardee's, but what they've done is consolidated the menu. Right. So, you know, you, you still have the star on both logos. They've changed the, uh, the Hardee's logo to the Carl's Jr. script, that kind of cursive script. Um, but after, other than that, the menus are basically the same. Wow. No more roast beef? At Carl's Jr., no. At Hardee's? Not, not, whoa, 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 not Arby's. Wait, 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 wait. Arby's. I'm thinking Arby's. Yes. <laughs> it's funny because, I, no, I had I had Hardee's correctly, but our, uh, I had the Arby's menu in my brain. Because one time, one time, my family bought food at Arby's on the way home from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got home, we were all sick. Oh. And so was, that was the last time my family had Arby's. <laughs> so I... But you know where I did have Hardee's? Hardee's. Okay. Kuwait. Oh, really? It was in uh, Kuwait in the early 80s. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's kind of wow. interesting. There was a there was a Hardee's and there was a A&W, I believe oh. it was. Oh. 
Um, I miss those old A and W's, yeah. man. Where they where they used to make the root beer like on property. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. So good. And the first time I had Popeyes was in Kuwait. Nice. My parents, my because that was the closest that came to uh, my mom's traditional southern fried chicken so we actually really enjoyed popeyes k kfc was just all that spices my mom hated oh she literally used no spices in her chicken and it was incredible but um yeah it was funny because because of the israel boycott no mcdonald's no burger king no coca-cola you know the works so but there were smaller companies that were that we're out in the Middle Eastern, in the uh, Arab and Muslim world. Oh, wow. I tell you what, I, you know, going off on a tangent with root beer here. Like, the ta- like we W's. aren't already on one, I so know, feel right? free. <laughs> Let it fly. I know, right now, Andy's I, like, our, our music podcast has now become a food <laughs> podcast. I hope you're all right with that. I love places <laughs> that make their own root beer. I just absolutely adore that. Uh, there was a place... In the, the city where I was born, where my grandparents lived, uh, called Mugs Up Root Beer. It's in Independence, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Old-style drive-in restaurant, you know, very much like the Sonic setup, but um, that was before Sonics kind of made their way west or east, rather, from California into um, Kansas and Missouri. And Mugs Up was this tiny little place, had fantastic root beer, and then also my aunt worked at an A&W, so... I frequent those two a lot when I was my aunt, really, really little. My aunt lived uh, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So we would drive out there to visit, and on the way home, we'd drive through the Pennsylvania Dutch country. Mm. So oh. we'd get that root beer. I didn't know the Dutch made root beer. Oh, yeah. Boy, oh, boy. That was different. They didn't make regular beer. That was good. Yeah, yeah. And then they you'd get fruit. I still remember the first time I bit into a plum that we bought from there because I was just like, oh, boy, a plum, blah, and it just bled yeah. all down my chin, down my shirt. It was like I busted a water bomb on yeah. my face. <laughs> People don't know. When you get that really good, that fresh, ripe fruit, oh you buy it God, in. Oh, my God. That rem- stuff is loaded. We <laughs> had we had a lot of those little farms around Kansas, yeah. too, and when you get like a fresh, juicy peach and you bite into it, and just you're... Your whole face is all wet. Looks like you've been yeah. dunking your head in the trough, as my dad used to like to call yeah. it. <laughs> Welcome to Apocalypse Cast, where we talk about things gone by. Go. Yeah, facial shock. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, when you bite into this, turn your head. Another great place in Wichita where oh I grew up, made their own root beer called New Way. So if you ever go to Wichita, Kansas, go to New Way. N U W A Y. Still around? Yeah, still around. Okay. Uh, they're something like 60 or 70 years old now. Uh, they make those loose meat sandwiches, which are the little crumbled. Um, it's crumbled beef, but the way they cook it, it's just amazing. And they put the, um, I don't know, a bun with mustard and pickle and onion. And it's like... Telling me with this right it's, now. <laughs> it's, it's the best thing. I, I can't even tell you. Although I did find a recipe. Somebody... Uh, uh, for a loose meat pick, sandwich? Yeah. No, no. For the way that New Way makes theirs. Uh, <clears throat> Was that somebody, a recipe or a website? <laughs> somebody... Uh, Somebody picked the brain of somebody that worked there and was able to get cooking tips, and now I know how to make them at home if I want. Because there aren't any places like that out here in uh, in Vegas. Yeah, I told you I went down the rabbit hole this that's, weekend. That's what Vegas is missing a loose meat sandwich yeah. restaurant. I just want the guys in the Crumbly little trucks driving up and down the strip with the big sign, 
loose meat sandwich to your door. <laughs> Boy, jeez, Jeff. Now, I told now you Todd, I went down the Todd's rabbit hole, gonna man. Todd's going to go home, and he's going to get a chair, sit in front of his kitchen, and you sit in the chair and stare at his kitchen sad now. Yeah. His, my, his wife makes him sandwiches and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst other things, yeah. sure. sure. She'll she'll give I him like a him ham stuff. sandwich and he'll be he'll be like eh, the meat's not loose. <laughs> Sweetheart, could you loosen this meat? <laughs> <laughs> so what geeky things did you do besides go down that rabbit hole? Watched a lot of aviation oh. videos. Oh, God. oh wow. Let's go back to food. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, man. Uh, what else did I watch? I stumbled across Trope Talks. Trope Talks. Overly Sarcastic Productions. They're a fun little uh, YouTube channel. I assume they're like their name. Uh, trope Talks, yeah, is uh, and they talk about just writing tropes. So they'll talk about genre tropes and all sorts of writing things, uh, heroes, protagonists, and stuff like that. And her viewpoint is actually pretty pretty interesting. So it's... it's and And... She's one of those that delivers in that really fast style. So it's really this kind of this kind of video. It's about fifteen minutes of her talking about it like this. So she gets a whole bot a whole bunch of information in on the video while she's talking about this. That sounds like the guy on Half is Interesting, which is another. It's like a little five to six minute videos Woo! of like strange topics, like you know, this tiny little island is it a U.S. territory or a Canada Canadian territory? That stuff like that, just like yeah. really interesting topics but he talked just like that yeah it, he squeezes it, it, a lot very, of information it's amazing in and six fu- minutes funny thing is unlike someone we may know this is fast talking that's very understandable yes let, right <laughs> like <laughs> intelligible like uh jay and miles and yes. the x-men yes jay is one of the is when you think about it jay is actually in a an incredibly fast yeah, when speaker. we saw them live, I was I yes, like wow. But it's not just sped up for the podcast. Yeah, but <laughs> it is so is so. Um, uh, oh God, it's it's not not articulate. Uh, whatever the intelligible. T- yeah, I mean she's just she's so precise and yes. and the the. The, the the like the, not the, not John Mushita fast. There's yeah. a throwback. Oh for yeah, people. yeah yeah yeah. Right. Who was <clears throat> I. I saw him live one time. He went to like some collector convention mm-hmm. in Wichita when I was a kid. I say kid. I was probably a teenager at the time, yeah. but uh, a kid at uh, heart. Uh, yeah, uh, he's another one that could talk super fast, and I th- think he still has the world record. For... That's the Micro Machines guy, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was also in Transformers. Transformers the movie. Yeah, he could do he it. He played Blur, and it was really funny because he actually could hit speeds where you began to not understand what the hell yeah. he was saying. But it, there was still enough there yes, you that could you could catch understand it. everything. <clears throat> so those people really impressed me. Yeah, absolutely. When they're so fast, but you're hearing every single friggin' word. Because I'm slow. When, I, when I'm trying to get information out, I start slowing what? down. No, what? Je- Todd, oh, I'm, I'm aware Todd, of it. Todd, don't let him. Don't <laughs> let what? Yeah, I'm aware of it. <laughs> I'm letting him dig. <laughs> <laughs> Why did John Mishita and Scatman never come together and... <laughs> Do a thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was before crossovers were big. Oh, that's true. That's very, very <laughs> true. Can you imagine? Because now that would be a thing. That would totally be a thing. Um, yeah, so there's uh, there's Trope Talks. They also do a history thing, which is really funny because they'll talk about little bits of history. And I watched a Machiavelli 
uh, thing uh, that was really cool because this guy um, was, is is on the position of the prince was not serious, <clears throat> i.e. Machiavelli's not a son of a bitch, but actually was a uh, subtle dig at the Florentine uh, aristocracy, <clears throat> excuse me, in Florence, the Medici okay. in Florence. So it's, uh, it's, actually, it's actually very interesting. So, hey, kidder. I figured I'd be filling more of this yeah. time with, I don't know, more constructive things, but no. Painting your minis? Uh, I'm doing some of that. Some of the, yeah, yeah I'm still true. working on that Enterprise. It's, I it's, see the occasional it's, That Enterprise is a pain in the ass, oh but I'm God. making it work. <clears throat> making it work. Wow. It's um, those damn decals. It's the damn decals. Oh, they break apart. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I, I do that some of the time, but sometimes I also find myself just kind of lost on the couch, just yeah. wandering brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, turning on brain? A, turning on a thing and just losing myself in it and not like like to the point like if i turn on a movie i feel like i'm doing something okay so uh, oh i watched a movie and that's uh i i did a thing yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. otherwise i'm like watch, otherwise i'm like watching hermitcraft minecraft videos you yeah. know things that just fill time it was funny because i watched the uh those scott ad adkins uh movies last week and they were movies i hadn't seen before so i actually came away from that feeling like i i've done so i watched right. a movie i hadn't seen yes nice you know yes. as opposed to re-watching uh, everything that i've been always re-watching <clears throat> now there it's is crazy now there's some things uh, my wife and i finally finished uh, american horror story hotel oh. that season uh, again that show Awesome. That season, also very good, although I feel like it drops the ball in the last episode, but everything leading up to it makes it more than worth it. So I don't think it's as good as the Witches season, but Hotel is definitely worth a watch. That's the one with Lady Gaga in it. Ooh. Yeah, so that one deals with ghosts and vampires for the most part. Mm Mm-hmm. And not in the traditional sense, because American Horror Story, they don't do anything traditional. Right, because America. Now, I did also start uh, the vast apparently uh, video game role playing game The Outer Worlds this is a space faring game on the PS4 Xbox uh, it's made by Obsidian these are the same people that made Fallout New Vegas and it's kind of them falling along that same line so if you like Fallout New Vegas and then you want to add a lot of mass effect to it that's kind of like what you got here very, very character-centric. You spend a lot of time talking to people and choosing conversation lines. So it's mostly about character and world building. So yeah, if you like Fallout, if you like Mass Effect, you will probably like this game. It's not as open world as Fallout is. It's Although there's a lot of exploration to go on, but it's more like hubs. You're exploring hubs of things. That's cool. And it's got that retro-futurist thing. Very, very colorful. The whole idea is that you were on a ship with a with like 6,000, I think, 6,000 other uh, colonists that are going off to the Halcyon system. Okay. And Halcyon system has been bought up by corporations, so you're going out to work for them. A lot of indentured servitude happening out there. And... Your ship either got lost or it just got found and it never, nobody got unfroze. So a guy that's considered a corporate terrorist finds the ship and revives you 
for whatever purpose he has for you. And you go out and explore this world of absolute corporate fuckery that is very satirical on one edge, but at the same time, not so satirical that you can see where they're, what their, their aim is as far as what the story is trying to get along. Get a little passenger vibe, any reviving a hotties because you're lonely? Uh, you're not, re- I have not revived anybody else on there. I'm, oh. I, I'm about 10 to 12 hours in. Oh, I see. And I'm still only in like the second hub of oh. things in it. Oh, oh wow. I'd hate that game. So, yeah, it's mostly conversations. The combat isn't bad. Uh, it is better than Fallout's combat is. Uh, mm. Not taking the VAT system into account if you love the vat system it doesn't have anything like that it's a thing where you can slow some time but value added tax but as far as like the first person shooting and the melee goes i like this one better than fallout Uh, the story is very engaging the characters especially the people that you uh, form alliances with and join you on your spaceship uh, a lot of fun and well written what you, whenever you go out on any adventure, you choose two companions, uh, much like Mass Effect. And whatever you do, those companions are very, very vocal. And they'll stop and put their own two cents on whatever it is. And it makes it feel very fluid, makes it feel like a lived-in environment. And you get to know these this crew of yours. And this game, you know how Andy has been playing Fallout New Vegas? Oh, like, yeah. Like, nonstop? Yeah. This is that kind of game and add a lot of Firefly to it. Uh-huh. So this game is made for Andy. <clears throat> yeah, cool. really. But I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying the humor. I'm enjoying the exploration of it. And I would love a good, deep action RPG, and that's what this is. So... But again, it's a long game, and I've only just begun it, so I can't really give it a good review, but I'm enjoying what I am enjoying so far. I will say that the first kind of training world that you go into, which is pretty large, it, when you're done with that tri- that world, you know how this game works going forward. But the moral decision at the end, for those that have played it, I don't want to give away too much, but the moral decision at the end of that first big hub is probably one of the toughest decisions I feel I've ever made in a video game because the good and bad on whatever you choose is very apparent. And whatever you choose, innocent people are going to suffer one way or another. Wow. <clears throat> and I took a long time making that decision. Uh, I'm not going to say which way I went, but those that have played the game know what that decision is. So it was sort of like <clears throat> you can... You can go back in time and kill baby Trump. Yes. But Pence will then get elected. <laughs> then, uh, not, not that bad. Um, <laughs> so Outer Worlds, if uh, so, just again, what I've played in about 12 hours. If you like Fallout, if you like Mass Effect and wanted to see them get together and have a baby, uh, then there it is. Well, I'll skip the baby part and just watch them getting together. Yeah. I think there's some of that, too, in it, but I'm not sure. I haven't gotten that far. So not playing any Borderlands 3 in protest? (laughs) No, no. I watched the latest Jimquisition on that. I was like, wow, Gearbox sucks. Randy Pitchford has been an asshole for years, and so much so that I have felt bad playing some 2K games. Yeah. 
so yeah, uh, Pitchford is not a good guy. Uh, doesn't mean I don't like Borderlands though. Borderlands is fun. Oh, uh, last thing, uh, a little short film on YouTube called Rebooted. Yep. Um, fantastic blend of live action, stop motion animation. Yeah. I don't want to say too much about the story, but the gist of it is a an actor, if you will, who performed in an old version of like kind of like Jason and the Argonauts is trying to audition for parts in the modern day and age. And that's all I'm going to really say about it. What, what's the it name of it again? Rebooted. 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 Yep. And it literally will come up as like rebooted short film on your on yeah. uh, your search on YouTube. But fantastic. The work that they've done on it. I had a little short behind the scenes thing on it that I forgot um, what I did with it. But it should come up in the suggested when you watch that. Um, but they'll show the little how they work behind the scenes to do the stop motion animation and blend that in with the live action and so forth. So really fantastic little short film. It's only like it's just shy of thirteen minutes long. Yeah. So there you go. You look at that and you're like, thirteen minutes. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, no, it's <clears throat> I watched that. Uh, by the way, Jeff, I I caught the uh, the uh, Mandalorian. Uh, behind the scenes. Isn't that amazing? That virtual Holy crap. Set? I didn't fully understand you yeah, I, when you were describing it. It's 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 one of those things until you see it, you can't right. fathom how detailed the system is. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean Todd, and, it's essentially LED or OLED it's walls a, and ceiling. Yeah. So the shit that you're looking at, like when the Mandalorian's walking down a canyon, is an LED screen behind him and it's a mix Amazing. of practical and that virtual set yes but the system works so well that even if you have a moving camera if you have a dolly in you have a pan you have a tilt it will adjust it adjusts to accommodate on the, the fly camera. so that when they go into post-production all they have to do is some minor like occasionally you'll see like the seam between the wall and the ceiling they'll they'll kind of airbrush that out the digital airbrush I, but yeah it's yeah it's incredible. They, I mean, they, they do a lot of their lighting, yeah, from the 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 wall and ceiling, yeah, stuff. No, not not as much traditional lighting anymore. Yeah, it, the lighting is built into the scenery so that Which everything explains is why lit. it's dark. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is a dark show, right? So, but it's it, and and it's dude, it's it's just about everything. The cantina where he's negotiating with uh, Carl Weathers, the, the 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 office where he's making the deal with uh, um, Werner Herzog's um, Werner. character. Wow! Yeah, it, it's you know, and they even they even have a uh, a cute little shot where they're talking with the director, and they're in front of it looks like green screen, and then suddenly shwoosh, the 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 office comes into view yeah. because they they boot up the office. On the screen, <laughs> and if they're having problems, like with reflections or whatever, they can go to a standard green screen on the fly, shoot like a backing plate. You know, take the actor out, shoot a backing plate, put the actor in, put the green screen up, shoot whatever they need to do, and then composite it in post. So yeah. that's why their post production was oh. fairly streamlined because a lot wow. of that stuff was done on set. That's the kind of stuff that I. I live for it. I used to love doing as much practical on set when I was in yeah. film school. You know, do what you can in the camera, you know. But it, it's it's amazing. It's an it's an interactive yeah backdrop. Yep, exactly. You know, 
<clears throat> wow. And that, and that's really still not giving it enough credit. No, no. You really... It, it, and what is it? Like five, ten minutes? It's not a long yeah, behind the scenes. Yeah, it's not a long... Yeah, it's... Uh, there's a couple of them in there, but yeah. the, the the main one is only like 10, 12 minutes mm-hmm. long. And you watch that one, and Favreau kicks off with like, I think what we're doing here is going to be changing a lot of television and filmmaking. And I'm like, oh, these people, they need to get yeah. over themselves. And then I'm watching it, and I'm like, holy shit balls! This yeah. is really fucking amazing. That's why I was kind of like, it's like, because Favreau doesn't say stuff like that very often. Nah, nah. And and yeah. when he was talking about you know the technology needing to get up to the point where they could do that kind of a show, I'm like, okay, this is another one of those you know Lucas esque yeah. kind of statements where, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, this is this is yeah. incredible. Yeah, if you get a chance, uh, ILM, ILM VFX is the channel. Yep, and uh, they're the the first three that came up when I called up the channel were the Mandalorian. Uh, BTS behind the scenes and <clears throat> yeah that if you watch the long one you'll see what Jeff and I are talking about it it's it definitely will will uh, will make your brain hurt Fantastic. it's just it's just it is really amazing. I just I loved how they could also change the scenery on the fly like you know what yeah. that rocks slightly out of place yes we can move that it's like uh, you know what a tree would look good here you know here's a tree yeah 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 just I mean, it's, it's it's literally it's yeah it's literally a, a science fictional uh, uh, <laughs> film set. It's the closest <clears throat> thing I've seen to like a true holodeck. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, sure. In in the twenty first century, sure. That's a good way of framing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anything else you do this week, guys? Probably more than uh, I can think of right now. Yeah, really. I played some D and D with some scoop. Monkey D and D Guilders, fantastic! How's that coming? So that's coming along. My my hexblade is is moving up there in the world, and we're we're killing goblins and and that's all we can ask of you. And uh, yeah, getting ready for a big uh, big fight with a big bad that I think is a wizard, but I'm not sure what the hell. You know, typical D and I'm not sure what we're going up against, but we're about to go through the door. So <clears throat> you're running it, and you don't know what's behind. Oh, the I'm not running it. Oh, uh, Elena. I see. I Elena's see. running it. Uh, she's actually doing most of the the DMing. At most, I think she's doing all the DMing. She's got one or two games going up, so maybe just one right now. <clears throat> Other people are talking about it, but uh, some are still like me are still a little intimidated by roll twenty and uh, and diving headfirst into that. And so you know we're looking roll twenties. Roll twenty is the online thing where you can integrate dice rolling, your maps, tokens, okay, all that with a little chat, your character sheet, the works, and it's uh, it's got a whole mess of uh, of different game systems. It's not just D and D five e. Numenera's on there, um, <clears throat> and uh, oh god, I don't even know what the hell's on there, but a bunch of different game systems. So I mean, it's literally like uh, their character sheets are plug and play, so you can just oh. I'm leveling up, and it'll tell you, okay, when you level up, choose one of these features, and then it mathematically builds it. There are a few things you need to correct now and again. All of us got fucking screwed when we leveled up, and our hit points were, we all got like ones and twos on our hit points, and we were like, what the fuck? And we found out for some reason the D and D character sheet is defaulting to a D four. 
for your oh. hit dice. Oh. So, we, you know, you have to backtrack <laughs> and change that shit around and stuff. And, and the sorcerer's <laughs> like, what? What's yeah, going on? Yeah, exactly. Well, that was the funny thing because in 5e, they got rid of the D4 for hit dice. So even oh, the wizards wow. and sorcerers <laughs> are doing D6s. Come on, you pansies. <laughs> But everybody's rolling the a two, and we're just like, ah. They're not sorcerers. They're magic users. They got a D, single D four uh, hit dice. Yeah, for level one. I think that I think that there is, there is at least one old school, uh, uh, game on there where yeah, you could you could do uh, you could do pretty much just just so, exactly that. Those were the days. What do you want to play? I'm play a wizard. Well, we got a magic user. You can do that. Great. Yeah. Um, all right. Roll for your hit points. Oh, two. You get two hit points, yep. and you get these crappy spells. Good yep, luck. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, you walked into a door on the way in the tavern? Okay, roll a new character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. Actually, it's funny because it's like I don't have a problem with high lethality. Just make character creation quick and easy so the player can jump in again. Sure. Because uh, nothing sucks worse than spending forever to build a character and getting in there and... Man, I don't know the name of the system, but there was one that I saw that I really liked where you roll multiple characters and you like play four, mm -hmm. but they are all very, very weak. And so everyone has a bunch of characters that are going on this massive thing, expecting these to die. And like the one that survives is your character going forward. Uh -huh. So you kind of build your characters based on the other characters around them. That's interesting. So I've never seen that. So that that was that kind I of like struck that me. concept to just build a whole bunch of urchins and go out there and see who comes through it. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those very uh, uh, dungeon crawler kind of. Yeah, well, games. there's there's dungeon crawl classics, which is an OSR inspired game, uh, old school Renaissance as they call it, uh, inspired by the old 1970s D and D. And that has what they call the character funnel. And you actually create multiple characters. And if you, That might be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And uh, if, when characters die, your funnel trickles down and you, get your, you insert your new character. And there's like a leveling system so that you're not at like fourth or fifth level character dies and then you insert your first level character. And whoa, you know. Sure. <laughs> so it, it, it's... It's, um, but it, yeah, and Dungeon Crawl Classics is actually one of the supported games. So, but that's, that's, um, I watched a YouTube video. This guy talked about online game playing systems. He might have mentioned Tabletop Simulator too, in fact, when, what you mentioned to me. Yeah, Tabletop Simulator is just basically a physics engine. You can find it on Steam. It's something that you can plug things into, and you can play D&D &D on it, but the game itself doesn't do a whole lot of calculation stuff that you don't program in yourself mm -hmm. or someone else has done for it. Yeah. So it basically has a template overlay that you can play almost any board game that's out there. And for like $10, you can just get the whole overlay and that gets you all the pieces and all the cards, but you are still running the games yourself as if you were doing it on an actual tabletop. The game itself isn't making those calculations for you. Yeah. Well, there, there, there are a whole variety out there that he was talking about. One of the interesting ones is apparently there is a virtual tabletop now where it's like you and your friends can land, you know, can, can stream up and, and plug in your Oculus and your virtual 
That's cool. That is yeah. available for Tabletop Simulator as well. If you do have you, Oculus, you can you, go VR. You know what? It, it, it Jeff, do they have a, a real, a, a functional, a practical, like omnidirectional treadmill yet? Something where you stand on it and you can walk in any direction and it, it feeds yeah. the information to a computer? Because once they perfect that, that's going to be the real big thing for like virtual RPGing. Can you imagine? The last cons- quote unquote consumer ready version that I saw at CES a few years ago was still way too expensive for the average. Right. Like it was in the, you know, five, seven grand. Well, it's, I, and I, and I don't think it was even a treadmill. I think you got, got in your yeah. socks and it was very slippery. So you kind of, yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So I, I'm talking about something where you're walking and your feet are pushing against something, but it's not, it's not just back and forth. You can go in any direction and feed that yeah. to the computer, this but had, stand still. Yeah. This had like a waist high railing yeah. That, yeah. You could, that you'd lean into and right. then you'd kind of run in place by sliding your socks on this that one was about 10 years ago there's there's better Mm -hmm. versions of it now but that's still not you you need a you need a actual a 360 treadmill and once you get once once they figure that out now what they do have is virtual room mapping now that's very similar to like what happens at like the void where the sensors that you can place around your room map the room that you're in Mm -hmm. so when you're walking the system guides you around the space so you're still walking in a it's better if you have an empty room obviously without any furniture in it but (laughs) that's that's the the easy level play on hard (laughs) hard mode (laughs) the the virtual room mapping is supposed to you know, it walks you through a very confined space. Right. But it'll have you like take, you know, back and forth or when you start to get to a wall, it'll make you turn left or right. And well, so it, 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 once they figure out how yeah. you, you can be in a three by three space. Yeah. And you can you can go walking through the, the, the countryside to Mordor. That's gonna be. That's yeah, that's probably still a few something. years off. Get that in your haptic feedback suit and and put on your yeah. Oculus. Oh, it's, and, it's coming. It's yeah. coming. So it, it, it that'll be you know oh, then yeah. then it'll, then the competition will be there because like do you go with the uh, the Mandalorian uh, um, LED room or do right. you go with your Oculus uh, what have you? Because the the LED thing would be really cool, except that of course. It, it's it's just the walls. It's not three dimensional, so there's no interaction or anything right yeah. in front of you, unless it's a friend or something like that. But you pay a friend to do the interactive stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? It, All you, right, you're going on Pornhub. I'm out. Well, who, who <laughs> dude? Who knows what's going to happen in the in, in this year? This is definitely the year of transformation. Who knows what what stay at home. Uh, uh, genius yeah is, is going to come up with is is going to come out of this where 2020 is the year that that all sorts of interesting stay at home stuff enters a consumer market or something cuz it it's it's definitely the time i i it's funny i keep thinking of in this time Isaac Asimov wrote a series of science fiction detective novels and he had a a, a, a human detective and a uh, um a uh, robot detective who was his partner and there was a, a tr- an original trilogy he had um 
Caves of Steel, and then, oh boy, I cannot remember the next two novels. And the second one was a, about colonists on other planets. And because they had, their immunities had degraded, if they ever interact with Earth people or go to Earth, they actually are kind of like hazmatted up. They're like in, in, in covering suits. They have little filtration plugs up their nose that they breathe only through their nose and stuff. And he's trying to solve a murder on one of these colony planets where people actually can go their entire lives without actually physically interacting with anybody. But because, because virtual reality interaction is so, uh, is so widespread, um, it, people actually don't have a sense of isolation or, or deprivation. Okay. So, um, you know, it, it's just that um, they, don't, they don't actually physically get in the same room, which is why he's called in because someone is murdered. So someone had to be physically in the same room. So he had to figure out what was going on. Fun. Uh, but it was also interesting because it was predictive about the whole, I mean, it, it, in many ways it just totally picks up on social distancing and communicating virtually and online and all that stuff. What a year. What a year. Well, the only books that came up that were related to it is Mother Earth and the Naked Sun. Naked Sun. Okay. That was it, the Naked Sun. Yeah. It, it eventually he kind of goes overboard and he starts tying all of his stuff together. So like his robot detective series, the, the, the robot partner is immortal and goes on for a very long time, Daniel Olival. And he, he leads into um, an all robots planet, which then leads into what Matt constantly talks about. Uh, the Foundation Trilogy. So Asimov, towards the end, it ties all of his stuff together in this oh, one thread. It's, it's the Dark Tower series. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> except that, you know, whereas King might have had something in mind, you know, Asimov, this is all retconned. This is all just, <laughs> yeah, go back and... All right, let's, let's make a quilt out of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's funny. But uh, Naked Sun, yeah. Caves of Steel, Naked Sun. All right. It sounds good to me. It it it, well, it was it it's you know it's it's one of those kind of predictive. It doesn't get it totally what we're experiencing, but actually, when you think that this was written in the '60s, you you've got to be a little impressed because he actually you know there he makes a few uh, calls calls a few things there. And speaking of books, the uh, Geek Shock Book Club is reading Sex Criminals. Uh, volume one, one weird trick by Matt Fraction. In fact, uh, <laughs> yeah. the discussion of that will have begun while this has uh, hit the internet. So, mm. so if you finished it, uh, join us on the discussion and get criminally sexy. Yeah, but shall you? Sh wow, you've been watching some. Uh, oh yeah, some Adam the Woo, huh? Yep. <laughs> Still can't quite get into Carpetbagger. Sometimes he's. Uh, <laughs> sometimes he drones on a little bit, but uh, yeah. Woo's fun. Adam the Woo is a f fascinating character. I enjoy his stuff. Indeed. Um, before we move on, uh, unfortunately, we had some really, really sad news this weekend. Um, yes. Uh, we've lost one of our own. Uh, the, the great, the unique, the absolutely uncomparable gaming mill. Uh, 
uh, gaming mill. I don't know if you're aware. If you follow him on Twitter, uh, you might be aware that he's has some health issues underlying for a while, and we lost him this weekend. Uh, gaming mill was one of our most fun voices for the years. He's a fan of Geek Shock going way back. Way back. If you've ever heard of our show referred to as The Paul Show in the history, <laughs> that is because yeah. of Gaming Mill. Um, some of our most fascinating and fun email interactions, and he's had his own YouTube channel for all this time and has brought a lot of entertainment and absolutely zany comedy to this world. And it is a heavy, heavy loss. Uh, at the end of this show, instead of our doing our uh, uh, Sam Heffernan's theme, I'm going to instead uh, put forward all the songs that Gaming Meal has recorded for us over the years, uh, including the Paul Show theme that he wrote for us, as well as the Maple Leaf Matt theme, because Maple Leaf Matt was jealous uh, so, uh, as well as a theme that he submitted to us that we uh we never used uh for our show he just submitted to us it says use this wherever you you want and we just really couldn't find a place but appreciate it all the same uh so there'll be a little uh gaming meal send-off at the end of the show and of course this show is dedicated to him and our condolences go out to his sister charlotte and the rest of his family it's uh very sad. Uh, uh, his name, his actual name is Sean. Uh, we interacted for years through this, uh, whether through the show or just through Twitter. We'd always just go back and forth on stuff. And uh, he'd send me pictures of what he was working on and so on. And yeah, he's, he's, he's an amazing, intelligent guy and a big, big loss. Wonderful guy. I, uh, it's funny. It's, it's a couple of years ago. So I actually... It might have actually been involving in the same thing because uh, when I lost my job at Ka, which was a shock, and then when I went through all my medical stuff, it was within like six months or so that I uh, finally started getting like some treatment for my anxiety. But somewhere in there, he we actually uh, we actually spoke on Facebook and actually uh, uh, talked for a brief time. And went over some, we talked about some health things, and he was also doing a, yeah, I know, this this, this, uh, this looks hard right now, but uh, actually, um, you know, it's just, it's just another point in life, and it was actually very, it was actually a very nice conversation, you know, re- trying to reassure and, and pick me up a bit, and just talk about dealing with some of, uh, some of the things that I was dealing with. Back in 2017, it was actually very, uh, very, a uh, very nice conversation, and I was really sorry that uh, to just to hear that, uh, man. I mean, it just like that. Just it felt like it just came out of the blue, the announcement. So, <clears throat> yeah, his uh, sister Charlotte and uh, Andy uh, talked a little bit over messaging. And uh, she shared that uh, there's a show in England called the James Whale Show. And that's where uh, people would call into him, and his big thing is he would hang up on them. The, the James Whale guy. Yeah, the James Whale guy would. 
but Sean Gaming Mill uh, got to be known a little bit because he would call in and hang up on Whale before Whale got a chance to <laughs> and would absolutely infuriate him when it happened. So, of course, Gaming Mill yeah. making his mark. Yeah. I, you know what? He told me about that when we had that conversation. And I remember just laughing so hard because he was like, yeah, I, I, I draw him in and 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 managed to get him going and then i'd hang up on him and you know so he just talking about how he'd preempt him with just <laughs> just hilarious <laughs> just absolutely hilarious so so thank you gaming email for being a part yeah. of our lives being a part of this show um and uh, you'll be missed yeah very very much indeed so we shall move on at this point. There is no news you don't give a shit about because it's all news you don't give a shit about out there. So yeah. I'm trying to... <laughs> <laughs> Too I, redundant? Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to find the good things that are out there right now. So let's do some Weekend Geek. Yeah, uh, Darren turned me on to this uh, little thing that this guy, John Krasinski, the actor, yes. is doing called Some Good News, where it's like pretty much like all positive stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's the kind of thing we need right now. Yeah. Because everything else is just like, oh, it can't possibly get any worse. I stand corrected every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It is it's it is rough out there. And so, yep. uh, but there is still geek news happening out there. And that's a good thing. And so announcements are happening. And uh, they're not coming at the rate they, they were, of course. No. But even though Hollywood is shut down for the most part, uh, pre-production on things have not, and there are yeah. still options that are being bought and things that are being set up in development and writers being hired, and that's the geeky movement we like to see. Yeah, that's the one nice thing about pre-production is majority of it can be done from a home office Yes, or over, I guess Zoom is the new big meeting, online meeting space where you can have multiple people on and have that virtual conference sure um so there's Zoom a lot of for that the higher on. ends discord for us uh, yeah <laughs> so there's a lot of that going on for right the now. underground <laughs> <laughs> okay now this first one could go either way <laughs> just having said that uh, because first one usually is right because th- this is such it's an unusual take all right i am my curiosity is peaked but i someone went out of the box on this one and i gotta give them credit for it uh, Atari okay. Retro Classic Pong is being turned into a role-playing game. Okay. Now, not like a tabletop role-playing game, sure. a video game role-playing game. Uh-huh. It's going to be called Pong Quest, and it elevates the pixel stick into a, quote, cheery and adorable Pong paddle, unquote, uh, tasked with shining a light in the dark dungeons. Atari is bringing the game in partnership with developer uh, Checkered Inc. And the themed dungeons will be based on Atari arcade classics like Asteroids and Centipede. Uh, There's also an online multiplayer mode for up to four players, along with more than 50 Pong ball power-ups and customization options for the player's paddle. Look for Pong Quest to hit both current-gen consoles and PC for $14.99 sometime this spring. I'm Hmm. assuming it's going to be kind of like Arkanoid. If you remember the arcade game Arkanoid, which was Pong with power-ups. 
Right. And uh, Or breakout with power-ups, really, yeah. when it comes down to it. And so I assume it's going to be like that with a Atari-themed story attached to it. So your dungeon is still going to play like breakout. Mm-hmm. And again, this is my conjecture. I have no idea, really, what this thing's going to be like. But it's the thing that makes the most sense to me. All right. So you would... The dungeon is the breakout screen with varying things and monsters like centipede, whatever, going throughout it. Sure. Uh, but who knows? That sounds. It, it sounds like it could be really, really cool. Yeah, I like the idea of dungeon as abstraction. You know, almost sort of like uh, if you think of like say original Tron as being okay. a, you know okay. being a being a dungeon you're right it you is. know and wow. it, so so something like that actually could be could be really i think really cool hmm. so i rewatched uh what uh time bandits this oh week. yes uh, great great movie <laughs> it's kind of rough nowadays it, though <laughs> it, it is kind of rough and i hon- some of it's very dated i honestly think it's kind of like one of those things like Goonies, where if yeah. you grew up with it, you yes. like it. If you didn't grow up with it, you're probably not gonna, unless because it, it's just weird, esoteric. The humor doesn't yeah. always hit, and it's a, a bizarre film with yeah. barely a story. Terry Gilliam, bizarre, um, no, right? It's it's no, more, it's here's some characters and let's throw them in a series of vignettes. But in watching it, I realized that. It was very formative for me as a kid, and it is kind of what I wanted D&D to be. Like, when I finally played (laughs) D&D, I think it was my love of time bandits that kind of... That's funny. Like, led that up, because it was, it's, you know, it's... It's the I think I was eight or nine when I saw Time Bandits. Don't touch that! It's concentrated evil. And so it's and the kid in there's ten years old. He goes off an adventure uh, with everybody else who's his size. And the whole movie is shot from that angle. If you don't see it, it's all from right. the low angles. Yeah, of low the kid. angle shots. Yep. So it, it's made for kids, but a certain kind of kid uh, with some adult humor sprinkled in, and. A beautifully made film for five million dollars but when you're talking about abstract dungeons I, that's kind of what my brain goes to when you said that is like every time they went into a new time it was basically a dungeon crawler each time they they looted the time and ran away yeah and fought, fought so. what they had to fight and then went on to the next dungeon yeah yeah so and the the, the abstractness of of pong yes that could that could be very interesting and that reminds me there's a i can't remember the name of it uh and it was pretty decent a pinball dungeon crawler where the pinball machine was the dungeon that you had to solve and get through the balls were the characters that you met along the way and so each ball had its own special power. But if you lost it down the middle, you didn't get to use that power anymore. And when you ran out of balls, then that was your party. You had to start the dungeon over. And if you beat that machine, then you went on to the next dungeon, which is a whole different pinball table. It was pretty interestingly crafted. I wish I could remember the name of it. Going back to what you were saying about Time Bandits and the, the scene composition. and the, the great directors really have a master of that where you just... You frame things. It's so subtle. It's almost um, subconscious when you're looking at it. You're, um, 
that was one that was an example in this video that I watched online. And another one was like Spielberg and uh, they used Jurassic Park as the example. Like, you know, you know, a lot of earlier in the films, a lot of low angle shots and a lot of medium angle shots. And then later on after the dinosaurs and the chaos, everything's kind of high angle shots kind of showing, you know, before it's like the humans are the big, you know, the big people in the, in the movie. And then suddenly the humans are very small compared to what's going on in nature and uh, stuff like that just has always fascinated me. Yeah. You know, even, you know, decades now after I graduated from film school. That's, it's been your passion, man, of yeah. course. Uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, may produce an act in a new movie adaptation, new like it's ever been done before, of Dragon's Lair. Oh, yeah. The original Dragon's Lair felt like a technical marvel when it first hit arcades back in 1983, leaving the graphics of its 8-bit competitors in the dust by using pre-rendered animations instead of real-time pixel art. With anima uh, animation provided by ex-Disney animator Don Bluth, Dragon's Lair had people waiting their turn for a run through Dirk's quest to rescue Princess Daphne from the vile clutches of the dragon Singe. Netflix says Reynolds is in talks to star in the live-action feature as Dirk the Daring, working off a script by Lego Movie and Scary Stories Tell in the Dark collaborators Dan and Kevin Hageman. Perfect choice. Bluth himself, who's long been trying to find uh, fund a movie version of the iconic franchise he co-created with Dan Molina, uh, that's the voice of Dirk in the original game, will reportedly co-produce the movie. Uh, voice of Dirk, more of it was just the grunts and oomphs. Yeah. So, so <laughs> technically, the voice of Dirk. I had forgotten about the Dungeons, the Dragons Lair, rather, uh, cartoon. Oh, that wow. was like on Saturday yeah. morning. This show that was kind of watching like the history of Dragons Lair. I've watched a few of these, but this was one of the ones that referenced the cartoon and just how different it was and how it didn't really hit with kids because while a lot of the theming was similar, they added in characters. The animation style was completely different than the video game. And then there was also the Space Ace cartoon who is, uh, you know, Space Ace was the one that I always was fascinated with. D Dragon's Lair, I liked, but when Space Ace came along, that was the game that I pumped quarters into and could just never get. I do believe that Space Ace is a superior product, mostly because it told a story where Dunge uh, Dragon's Lair randomized the sure. scenes. Uh, Space, a uh, Space Ace had a beginning to end story, right. so you could build upon what you learned and get a little further as you got as you got to know the game longer. Right. Uh, which made it even more of a quarter crunch, like you said. Uh, but I will give this to Space Ace. It had the best theme song of all of the arcade games ever. I, I, I would play that game just to hear that theme song when you powered up. <laughs> I loved it so much. Space Ace. Now, the Dragon's Lair cartoon, I was uh -huh. a big fan of it as a little kid. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't miss it, would record it on our VHS, uh, VCR right. recorder. Uh, the show, before it went to commercial, right. would give you a choice of what you want Dirk to do. 
And then it would say, do you want Dirk to do this or do you want Dirk to do that? We'll be back after these messages, do the commercials. And when it came back, it said, if you chose this, this is what would have happened. And then it would show Dirk's demise. And then the other one would continue the story. Yeah. So it did have that element to it. Uh, that wasn't enough for me. So when I recorded on VHS, I'd watch it over and over again so that I'd have it memorized. And then I would take out my joystick <laughs> uh, for the Atari. And, and then I would act like I was playing the cartoon because I knew every movement that Dirk was going to make. Wow. So I would move the stick in the direction of whatever Dirk was doing because I wanted to play Dragon's Lair so bad and couldn't afford it at 50 cents a pop. Oh, dude, I couldn't, I, I couldn't figure it out. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I eventually found out how you played it, but I couldn't figure it out when I first tried, and I was just like, There's nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you did kind of figure it out, the timing was yeah. so critical. Yeah. Like, talking millisecond timing, if you're, if you're, a, you know, quarter second too late, you die. Yeah. And I think that might have been built into the system, whether it was a technological deficiency or planned deficiency i don't know <laughs> sure um i did like when they released the dvd sets where you could actually play the game with your dvd remote yeah because so all you needed could, was the, yeah. the directionals and yeah. the sword button which is the enter button yeah exactly and it works in the same way that's all that game was was a big laser disc player yep that's and then cool. having it on the blu-ray it was kind of neat because it was actually a bit quicker because the seek times were a lot lower on DVD than they were on the old laser disc. So, but you always knew whether you got something right or you didn't, because if you did something right at the right time, it would make this little bunk sound. This little not a it wasn't a beep, but it was it was a digital sound yeah. that was kind of like one of those. And and if you didn't, it didn't make that sound. But either way, the screen would go black for half a second, and then yep. it would play as it was going, right. moving to the next part of the laser disc and play out that scene. Yeah. So if you heard the bonk, you knew that you did that piece right. Right. But if you didn't hear the bonk, you knew you lose one of your three lives. Oh my God, dude. I really hope they keep the conceit of of him respawning. I, I really want him to do a live, die, repeat type of thing. Where now that he, would be cool. Because, you know, Ryan Reynolds running around in armor and, and all he... he, he you'll see him suddenly turn into a skeleton and crumble to dusk and, and then, <laughs> you know, he comes back. Well, they did do Bandersnatch, which is a choose-your-own-adventure show. If right. they did it in that way, that'd be really good for that sort of thing. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I myself, I don't need to choose-your-own-adventure. I just want to see Dirk, you know, the, the conceit is uh, 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 Dirk dies. He dies very painfully, but he can come back and, you know, keep... It comes back and, in the same way, that, and, and and continues his adventure some way, you know, sort of like a sort of sort of like Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean that's it's part of the reason why it's such a perfect fit. It's just it's great. And we did lose some other people this week, unfortunately. Um, yeah. We lost uh, Lee Fierro, the actress known for playing the bereaved Mrs. Kittner in Steven Spielberg's Jaws, died at the age of ninety-one from coronavirus complications uh, born elizabeth lee fierro in february of 1929 miss fierro was one of the last living adult cast members of jaws in addition to richard dreyfus and lorraine gary fierro played the mother of alex kittner the uh, young boy who was killed by the shark while swimming in his on his yellow raft 
Fierro would reprise her role for the franchise's third sequel, Jaws the Revenge, in 1987. And over the years, fans of the original movie would approach the actress asking for her to slap them. <laughs> she only recently, apparently, put a moratorium on that. But for yeah. years, would yep. oblige fans of the slap. That was a lot of takes. Ouch. That was a lot of takes for poor uh, poor uh, Roy Scheider. And Juan Jimenez, unfortunately, died due to the virus. Jimenez was one of the most acclaimed artists of his generation and was extremely instrumental in the far-out sci-fi style seen in heavy metal and heavy uh, metal hurlant magazines. Uh, publications, uh, his work was prominently featured in the late 70s. He went on to conjure up two legendary projects, the military sci-fi spectacle, The Fourth Power, then the grand space opera saga, The Metabarons, created with writer and filmmaker Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky. Is it or is it Hodorowsky? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, beginning in 1992 and published by Humanoids. Uh, the ambitious Game of Thrones in space style epic ran eight volumes until 2003 and furthered ideas lifted from Jodorowsky's fa failed attempt to bring Frank Herbert's Dune to the big screen. It's a continuation of Jodorowsky and Mobius's provocative space opera, The Inkle, which chronicled the tale of the near-immortal galactic warriors and still stands today as one of the monumental achievements in comic book history. So that's a Juan Jimenez. Amidst the news that Disney is putting the bulk of its releases on hold, including several Marvel Studio films, one MCU movie is going forward with pre-production. Ant-Man 3 has landed Rick and Morty scribe Jeff Loveness to pen the script for the upcoming Marvel movie. Uh... And watching Rick and Morty last night, I basically watched all of season four last night again. Uh, he, for sure, because I saw his name on there, uh, wrote the dragon episode of Rick and Morty oh, this God, last that, season. That dragon episode. <laughs> uh, that was so ridiculous. Uh, Marvel uh, sealed the deal at the start of the Hollywood shutdown. Loveness has already begun writing the third Ant-Man film. In addition to Rick and Morty, Loveness also written for Marvel Comics, having contributed to such titles as Groot and Nova, among others. Uh, no word yet on when production of Ant-Man 3 will begin, of course. Uh, and this next one, oh, I love this so much. I love this so much. Amazon Prime Video is collaborating with South by Southwest to form a film festival collection, which filmmakers who were to debut at this year's canceled festival can opt into. Yeah, I, I read that, too, and I was just like, that's that's really awesome. Uh, others have already sold their projects to competitors. Uh, those who haven't will see their film play exclusively on Amazon for the duration of the 10-day fest for free. U.S. moviegoers won't have to pay anything for the films, which will reportedly be in front of, uh, in front of the Prime paywall. So you don't have to even be in front of Prime, I understand. Uh, this is instant, this is not an acquisition deal, but the filmmakers will still receive a streaming fee for opting in. Quote, ever since South by Southwest was canceled by the city of Austin, we've been focused on how we could help the incredible films and filmmakers in the Southwest South by Southwest 2020 lineup, said the Southwest director film uh, of film uh, Pearson. We were delighted when Amazon Prime Video offered to host an online film festival and jumped at the opportunity to connect with their audiences to our filmmakers. So Amazon by South by Southwest, 
looks to launch this late April. So that's fantastic because yeah, for some people, that's their one shot. Yeah, it's like that one, um, Sundance. You know, if there's only a handful of those film festivals every year. And I can't stress enough, like, you know, I, I had worked with people when in film school that, you know, that was their, that was their dream to get, you know, their movie in one of those festivals and then hope. Oh, I'm sorry, Kit. (laughs) (laughs) He's a, he got right under my foot as I was sliding back. You moved Uh, up and he moved across. Um, that's literally, they were, you know, they, that was what they were banking on is like trying to get their film sold and hoping to get it into one of those film festivals so that it could get recognized. So yeah, good, good that that's happening. Very good. Um, and hopefully some of those lead to deals. And if not, well, and you've never been to a film festival, here's your chance at home. Yeah. So watch out for it. Now, bear in mind, there's a lot of good ones. There's also a lot of bad ones. So, Having been to a film festival, yes, I can concur with this statement. Your mileage may vary, but don't be afraid to take a chance on something that you might not be think you're interested in until you've watched a little bit of it. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes you'll be surprised. You're like, eh, this doesn't sound like something I'd be into. And then you start watching it and you're like, wow. This is pretty good. That's happened to me a few times. Or you could be like me when I went to the Fangoria Horror Film yes. Festival here in Las Vegas and saw uh-huh. the movie Dark Ride and wanted an explanation so badly that I bought the DVD so I can get a commentary because I <laughs> needed to know why the fuck they made the choices they did. I remember that. that it, was... it was a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's how you sell a bad movie. Be inscrutable. Uh, starring the, uh, I can't remember her name now. She was in Sopranos, played the daughter of Tony Soprano. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Meadow, she played Yeah, Meadow. she played yep. Meadow Soprano. And also the Hollywood Madam. Oh, Heidi Fleiss? Yeah, she played Heidi Fleiss oh, okay. in a TV movie. And yeah, totally yeah. blanking. And I'm not blaming it on, she was fine in the of movie. The, the movie was just not good. Yeah. It was schlock, sh- slasher fare, and I like Dark Rides too much for it to be treated so badly. Jamie Lynn Sigler. That's there you go. Yeah, That's Jamie Lynn. Um, before you go on, Todd, also to mention the uh, in memoriam uh, honor black men who yeah. uh, was pussy galore in uh, in Goldfinger, and also Kathy Gale in in uh, Avengers, a partner, t- uh, a pre uh, pre Diana Riggs partner to uh, Patrick uh, McNee McNee uh, in. Um, in the uh, Avengers TV show, she passed away as well. So it's uh, somewhere. It, Biggs is crying. Yeah, you know it's so. It, it's it's. <laughs> I, I'm kidding, but yeah, it is yeah. sad. That's, it, it, well, that's, it's that's yeah, that's classic Hollywood. Yeah. we're losing more and more of the well, it, classic it, Hollywood actors. It blows my mind. You know, it's kind of funny because you know you have you have that joke of they were alive but at the same time it's like oh my god was she like 93 or yeah, 94 well, or something it's just like, that? like lee lee fierro yeah it's you, just like she was 90 and she was still around i just from that time sometimes when you look at that you, you look at their age you're like no there's no way they were that old and then you start doing the math and you're like oh yeah mm-hmm. 50 years ago and they yeah. would have been in their 30s or yeah. 40 oh yeah. yeah totally makes sense yeah it's just it's just yeah. crazy 
Amid the pandemic, Disney has decided to skip a theatrical rollout for the big-screen adaptation of Artemis Fowl. Instead, the Kenneth Branagh-directed film will make its world debut on Disney+, Plus at a date that has yet to be announced. The project was originally slated to hit the theaters Friday, May 29th, based on the hit young adult novel set by uh, Eon Coffer. I think, that's how you say, I think that's how you say his name. Yoin. E-O-I-N. I, you know what? It's one of those fucking Gaelic things. Those bastards can't spell for shit. Uh, Ian. Uh, Eoin. You Bi- know what? It's probably it, It's entirely possible that yeah. it's just like Ian. Probably is. Ian by the wood. Yeah. The movie centers <laughs> on Artemis Fowl II, played by Ferdia Shaw, a bright 12-year-old boy who discovers that his recently kidnapped father, played by Colin Farrell, is the latest in a long line of criminal masterminds. Accepting his destiny, destiny, Artemis sets out to find his missing dad with some help from his fiercely loyal butler. Uh, on his journey, our hero uncovers a sprawling fantasy world of elves, fairies, and dwarves that has been long hidden from humanity. In particular, Laura McDonnell and Josh Gad play two more of Fowl's <laughs> crucial allies. <laughs> Captain Holly Short, uh, the elven art, uh, agent for an organization known as uh, L.E. Prison, and Mulch Diggums, an oversized dwarf with a penchant for thievery uh, that played by Josh Gad. Uh, that, that sounds like a Josh Gad character. It does. It does. Uh, well, Biggs is excited now. <laughs> well, Biggs has a Disney Plus subscription, yeah, he's, right? he's... He's going to be all over this. Artemis Fowl. Yeah. I, I, I know I've heard the name before, but I really don't know much about it other than what you just... It's, it's, it's funny because it, it, uh, it sort of followed in on the Harry Potter craze. Okay. And, it, and it's basically along those lines. So, because it's... Um, I haven't read the full thing, but the kid basically... And it's a weird conglomeration because his dad... He is a criminal mastermind, but then you enter into this world of elves and dwarves and fairies and stuff like that. So it's not just some kind of James Bond or superhero comic criminal mastermind. Blofeld thing. versus a, the Hobbit. Yeah, exactly. So it's 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 kind of interesting in that regard. Andy, Andy's the one who actually is sincerely excited because he loves this series. Now I saw I saw the trailer for it when I went and saw Onward. Which uh, finally people are getting to see. I I still recommend it um, if you haven't seen it, the latest Pixar film. Um, and it seemed like okay, yeah, in in our world he's a thief, but in this other world he's like a hero because he's protecting that realm, etc. That's that's what I took from the trailer. I think I don't know if that's exactly how I, it is in the I don't source know material. The full point, Andy. Andy, when describing it to me, played KG Andy and wouldn't yes. reveal everything. But he said he's a criminal mastermind, but he uses it for good purposes, which slots in perfectly with what you just described. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it was at, okay. at all. And a thank you to Shock Monkey Elizabeth for posting that one on the lair. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, James Wan has made a deal with Universal Pictures to develop a monster movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> James Wan. Yeah, no. Good Universal director. Pictures, monster movie? Right. No. James, I mean, you do Universal's it. still trying to figure out what to do with their wonderful yeah. classic monsters. Wait, they, Universal has monsters? That's the rumor. Mm. Not Apparently not for 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, 
the untitled film will draw inspiration from the studio's classic monster legacy and give it a plastic. modern sure classic um <laughs> just classic the way they've been using it uh, and oh wow <laughs> somebody's got some opinions there he is gloppy that they're <laughs> no no what's the other monster. what's the other one what was the other one we did oh yeah what was the other one? Oh shit it was it. the opposite of glappy jeff jake somebody I'm not necessarily glappy that Universal made some of the movies they did. Um, and give it a modern scene that tells a story of a bunch of teens who discover a neighbor is building a monster in his basement. The creature escapes, wreaking havoc for all involved. One, whose horror hits include both the Insidious and Conjuring franchises, isn't helming the Universal project. Instead, he'll produce via his Atomic Monster banner from a script being penned by Robbie Thompson, the veteran scribe and executive producer of the CW's Supernatural. Juan's next directing project is also in the horror genre, uh, the upcoming Malignant, which hits theaters this August. And Netflix has a new animated comedy coming soon. The show is called Mulligan. From Tina Fey, from 30 Rock, Robert Carlock from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Sam Means, also from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And Netflix ordered 20 episodes. The series, created by Carlock and Means, with Fey executive producing, will be about the world as we know it, post-alien attack. After interstellar baddies devastate the planet, the world has to start over, and no timeline is set for Mulligan. It's interesting. Uh, I was just thinking about this when you are talking about that animation may have a new renaissance oh, given the current world situation because actors can record their lines from home now. A lot of them have home studio equipment that record high quality dialogue. The a lot of animators, can. you know, animate on computers. A lot of them have that at home. You know, we might start seeing more entertainment shifting towards stuff like that that they can do without needing to gather a large crew on a set and potentially expose each other to it's, i don't know it's, 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 it's an intriguing thought it i is. just uh it's, i mean don't get me wrong for your average hollywood movie has a huge yes. team of animators yeah right uh, and not all of them can work from home uh, but True. they can yeah they can they just blockchain their computers and <laughs> animate Upload it is that to the how server works? Is that farm. All you yeah, do? yeah, that's all you got to do. Upload that's what, that's what I need to do so I can play Civilization. Sketch it at home. Up, upload it to the server farm. <laughs> but no, not an issue anymore. Thanks, David Farrar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it um, it, it'd be ironic if uh, you know Mandalorian comes up with that that boss set design and and innovative effects thing, and yeah, no, nah, it's all animation now. George Lucas on his deathbed is like, hey, we finally replaced the actors. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> My dream. I can go now. Goodbye, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's your Steve? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, hopefully, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Interim UK Prime Minister K. And uh, we'll talk to you next week in Geek, if we can. Again, we are doing this as we can. We can't guarantee week to week that yes. we will be able to do this show, uh, given the state of the world. But we will do the best we can. And uh, as promised, I send off to the wonderful, unique, amazing gaming mill.
and wrestling, the ball show, stop talking over ball, the ball show, and wrestling, the ball show, stop talking over ball, the ball show, the ball show, and Bill Cosby. Stolen the Paul show. Uh, there's something quite sinister and something quite frightening, but I do want to get to the bottom of this. Maple Leaf Matt. He doesn't like goose because he don't clock. But he does like a moose because he knows he can... Well... I need to watch my language because my mum listens to this podcast. The Match Show. With maple leaf syrup. Tries to run the show. No, but oh no. Why does she keep looking at things funny? Just because he thinks it's a bunny? That makes no sense, but it sort of rhymed that this is all improvisation. That wasn't a guitar, that was a noise of some Canadian animal that he was taken advantage of. I'm sure he'll agree. And I've got no idea what to say anymore because this is all improvised. And I've recorded this for far too long. Maple leaf, my Maple leaf, my Oh, maple leaf, with your show that you've stolen from a guy that I sort of used to know. Maple leaf mad, maple leaf mad, 
Are you on the way to the depths of hell? I don't believe in that sort of thing. But if I did, that's probably where you're headed right now. And you don't even talk about wrestling. Maple leaf man. Maple leaf Take your syrup, take your mooses and a goose if you want, and take it right down with you because that's where you belong, the stealing Paul's show. It's Paul's show. Even though you want to call it Maple Leaf Fans, Maple Leaf Mats, Maple Leaf Mats Show. Now I'm going to leave now because I've got concussion from the fall I had a few days ago. This took me bloody ages to record. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and all of you guys on the match show, on the still listen to you regularly. Take care.